Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You are listening to episode 198 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you are struggling with low libido and you find that it's challenging for you to experience sexual desire, I have a gift for you. I created this list of the actions that you can take today to help yourself to have a, a healthier relationship with your sexual drive and experience more higher libido. I know this has been a challenging chapter of many of our lives with what's going on with COVID and stressors in, in our environment and on top of that this political turmoil. So don't let this stressors storm your hijack your sex life. So if you are struggling, definitely check out this free resource. Today we're going to talk about uh, sex robots. If you know me, you might get surprised because I'm definitely not into sci-fi. But a few months ago, I read this fascinating book by Rebecca Gibson. The title was Desire in Age of Robots and AI, an Investigation in Science Fiction and Fact. And she talked about why people are interested in sex robots. And she talked about psychology of this attraction and the future of the field. And I found the content very interesting. And I said to myself, I must have her in the show. And she uh, graciously accepted my invitation. She's our guest today. She talks about sex robots, how people become attracted to them. And she tells us about the future of technology and AI when it comes to sex and sexuality. So definitely, if you're interested in topic, check out the conversation. As I mentioned, she's an author, but also she's an adjunct professor at American University and Indiana University South Bend. Her published works include Desire and Age of Robots and AI, an investigation in science fiction and fact, and the corseted skeleton, a bioarchaeology of binding. She holds a PhD in anthropology from American University, and when not writing or teaching, can be found reading mystery novels amidst a pile of stuffed animals. Here's my conversation with Dr. Rebecca Gibson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Rebecca Gibson on our show. Rebecca, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. We, before we started recording, I was sharing with you how, how much I loved your book. The title is Desire in the Age of Robots and AI. And it was fascinating because as a psychologist and sex therapist, when I go to conferences, I get introduced to a number of different sex robots that they're developing and all sorts of sex dolls. And I've, I've always been fascinated about what keeps people attracted to buy the dolls. And I know that your book, you really talked about what, what are some of the factors that makes these robots attractive to people. So tell us, what are sex robots? 
So a sex robot is anything that combines artificial intelligence or mechanical robotics with the act of, of sex in any way. So you can have anything from really low-tech things that just have recorded answers to questions that you can ask them. You can have robots that, that interface with your computers so you can have a partner on the other end directing the way that the robot responds. And you can have even lower tech things like Bluetooth vibrators or Bluetooth dildos. And so the configuration is really up to the person doing the purchasing. And they're creating a lot more interesting and comprehensive bots these days that can get more interactive. But that's really, as I said, up to the person purchasing. Well, I feel growing up as and as my career evolves, I, I get exposed to more sophisticated types of these robots. And I think that can create some emotions from people. I know you talk about it in the book, but I'm kind of curious, how did you get interested in this route? So I've always been fascinated with the idea of cyborgs and cybernetics. And when I was an undergrad at Indiana University, South Bend, which is one of the places that I'm working right now, I had a professor, Dr. Josh Wells, who said, we are all cyborgs in some way. We all interact with the technology around us. And then I became, I acquired this, a disability. I have a chronic genetic condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And I started wearing braces on my hands. And I got really more into this idea of like, how human is human enough? And how do we interact with our surroundings in ways that embrace the cybernetic? And then I was answering a call for papers for a journal that ended up getting shelved, but they were looking for sexuality and science fiction. And, you know, you've got your aliens, you've got your off-world human counterpart things, but you also have sex robots in a lot of these situations. And my curiosity was really stirred by the fact that we see a lot of sex robots that are females, and we don't see very many that are males. And I was wondering, you know, what's up with that? How do we relate to both robotics and sex that produces this kind of male vision-centered robot appearance that then reflects back as female robots. The book came about because I was approached by an editor who was very curious about my overall idea, which is what it means to be human and how robotics are really pushing us into the future of, you know, how much integration of technology can we get into our own bodies before we no longer feel human and how much interaction with external robotics can we get that we will accept as human. Well, fascinating. And, you know, you brought up a point that I know you talked about in the book. And also, it's my experience that when I go to these conferences, most of the dolls and bots that they're bringing are this very realistic, attractive female. I know that there are male robots. I read about them, but as a sex therapist, I haven't seen them being promoted. What is that about? So there's a couple of different 
things that are sort of creating a situation where we don't see the male robots as much. One of that is the cultural idea that women just aren't as interested in sex, which is, of course, completely wrong. But women often don't want to be seen as as interested in sex. So there's not that much of a market because it creates a sort of feedback loop. You know, you don't get marketed to, so you don't know that there's an option, so you don't go looking for it. And then you're not seen as wanting it, which leads to less of a market still. There's also this idea that men's bodies aren't as aesthetically pleasing, which is also incredibly wrong. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with the male body and male bodies are appealing. But the overall market for sex robotics hasn't really caught up to this, this potential for expansion. When there are male bodies, the two huge producers of sex dolls and sex robots, the ones that I know of anyway, are synthetics and real doll. And they do have male models, but there are fewer, there are fewer options to them. There are fewer modifications you can make to them. And I, I really hope we'll see some expansion in that because the, the male form is just as exciting and interesting. And, you know, it's, it's a market that women could tap into for whatever reason that they wanted a, a robot, they would have better options then. Well, I'm so glad that you're saying that it's just a matter of having been like, it hasn't been marketed to that population, because also I can see there's a market there. But I feel it's definitely underdeveloped. Because whenever I ask, I meet with the founder, ask about the mailbox, they say, Oh, we have one. But I would imagine they think there, there's no not enough demand that they're not even bringing it to the conferences or conventions. So because I can see that there's a there could be a market and huge market there. So tell us what people to get attracted to have sexual experiences with bots or AIs? So there's a couple of different reasons that people are attracted to or curious about robots and AIs. One of them is the, is the notion of the uncanny valley. So when we see something that is very human-like, we, are, uh, we have the dual forces of both attraction and repulsion. And there is this, this sort of dip in the middle there where the attraction really takes over and we want to have relations with that, either sexual relations or companion-type relations. And then you also have this, this awkwardness around sex, specifically in America, but really, you know, sex is, is almost a universal taboo in many, many places. And so you can't just go to another human and approach them specifically for sex. This is something that is, in many cases, just off the table. And if you don't want a social connection, if you just want the sex, you're labeled as, as problematic and wrong. So one way that robots are good for this particular aspect of, of human sexuality is there's very little mystery. There's very little chance of getting rejected, you know, no chance that the person is going to talk back or, or refuse to do what you want. On the other hand, though, there's a trade-off for that because they're not an active partner. 
And if you want to get better at those social interactions, they're not going to help you get better at that. They're just going to sort of perform a, a stand-in. But also, you know, sex dolls are, are beautiful. They're well-made. The more expensive ones can be warmed up so that they're lifelike. And if you want somebody who will always be there and who will always say yes to your desires and who always thinks you're as attractive as you want to be, then a sex doll is, is a very good way in which to have that. I just, I find them fascinating. I, I got skin samples while I was writing the book and the skin is very realistic feeling. And I just like, I, I would, it, they're thousands of dollars, so I don't have one, but the, the thought is always there. Like having this experience might be very interesting for my next round of research. Yeah, they are so realistic. And I feel like too, too realistic <laughs> because I was like taking pictures with them in the conferences and I was like sitting next to a uh, them and I was sitting to my husband and my husband thought I was sitting next to naked women, like a first glance. <laughs> they appeared very, very real. And, you know, I have this love and curiosity and also cautiousness around sex robots because I think they can be absolutely useful. I, many of my clients, some of them, they have trauma history. They find it easier to connect and having this fulfilling sexual experiences with these realistic dolls. Even they find like a smaller size of them, it's less intimidating. I can see that it can be helpful with helping people to practice some of the things as a sex therapist, as a psychologist, they want them to do when it comes to sex and sexuality. I think all of these things are wonderful. But also, I wonder that it can get in the way of people developing the skills that they would need to cultivate real relationships. Because I think when it comes to AIs, there are fascinating. There is this website that I ask my clients to use to kind of rate their mood. And they have this conversation to help them to challenge their thought. Like all of my clients, most of them, they use it. And the conversation is so realistic that at times they tell me, oh, I feel like I'm talking to you. <laughs> So it can be kind of like uh, this technology can be like very similar to human interaction. Also, you talk about that there is this turning test that makes the sex robot more interesting. Can you tell us more about that? So a Turing test, which was named after the scientist and theorist Alan Turing, is whether or not something can be, be close enough to human so that somebody really can't tell the difference between what they're talking to in terms of AI and their human counterpart. As far as I'm aware, no robotics at the moment pass. We are getting very close, though. Uh, if you've ever had some of those telemarketing calls where you answer the phone and you say hello and they start talking, there's just a little break in the tone and the speed and the pitch of the voice that gives it away, but not very much. So we're getting pretty close if you're not seeing the robot behind the screen. One of the interesting things about the science fiction that I look at is that all of the robots, of course, are played by humans and they're going to necessarily pass the Turing test. But if you look at 
what's being developed recently in terms of interactive robotics, emotive robotics, we are actually getting closer and closer. One of the robots, real life robots that I talk about in the book is Sophia by Hanson Robotics. She's not quite there, but she's really, really close. She makes jokes. They're not the oh, best, no. but... <laughs> They're, they're kind of mild. They're like dad jokes, but they're jokes and, and she definitely makes them. She responds in real time. And even though it's from a pre-recorded set of types of responses, the responses are still mostly appropriate to the conversational topic. So we're getting there. We're getting to the point where you could use a script to role play with your robot and have the robot talk back to you and have it feel like you're in a real conversation. And this is really important for that human type connection during sex that is missing from just a doll or in a lot of cases is missing from actual human interaction. One of the things about being human is that we don't always react or reply correctly. Fascinating. Uh, you know, as a preparation for this conversation, I watched Blade Runner, <laughs> the recent one. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so not a sci-fi person that my husband was shocked. It was like, he loves sci-fi. I was like, why are you watching this? And it was very interesting. And I know also in the book, you talked about the demographic of people who are interested in this, in this interaction on sex bots. And I was surprised that you're talking, these are not the only people who are not having access to sex. So you're talking about like sometimes having access to sex is it can be challenging for subcategory of people, but there is this fascination with having sex. You talk about like even historically throughout time with your creation. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So the, the fascination with this has been pretty much universal throughout history. And there is that desire to create something and to create it in such a way that not only is it desirable, but it desires us. One reason that I looped in the Blade Runner franchise, well, there were a couple, my editor, I, I wanted to do a broad analysis of like all of the different sci-fi stories. And my editor said, no, you have to narrow that down. <laughs> so I chose the Blade Runner franchise because it really emphasizes that relationship between creator and creation. And this notion that that there is that idea of attraction between what we create and what we what we want in life and that drives us forward in terms of sex dolls and sex robotics one way that this is is really shown is by this notion of the sex robots in sci-fi that are always in some way a reflection of their creator so we're not just attracted to them because they're pretty or they're sexy or they're smart sounding, but because they're a part of us, because they reflect that humanity and they reflect our desires for the future and our need to continue progressing. Particularly in the US, progress is one of those things that we cling to as sort of very American, you know, we're always doing the next thing. And so that idea that need to create and the need to involve our desire into it is really one of the driving things behind the attraction to sex robots. 
fascinating. And you know, one of the thought-provoking part of the book that is that the, when you were talking about, does it matter if it's a human or not? If they can say "I love you" and they can respond, and and also I'm thinking as an outsider, who are we to judge people? for kind of having those experiences that are fulfilling and enriching their lives. Absolutely. One of the things that, so I, I don't know if you're, if you're videotaping this, but you can see behind me my stuffed animal collection. Oh, I love them. Yeah, I'm curious <laughs> about it. I see them. So I, you know, I'm, I'm polyamorous, but I'm mostly single and my stuffed animals take up most of my bed and I treat them gently because, you know, I know that they're inanimate. I know that they're not living or anything, but at the same time, it doesn't hurt anything to be nice to the things that you have and to have that type of connection and they're comforting and they're soft and I love them. Mm -hmm. And so we could extend that to the idea of robotics and sex robots. If you feel that connection, then that connection is real. It doesn't have to be a living person there to be emotionally effective, to be something that comforts you or brings you peace or um, makes you feel sexy or anything like that. You can have that within yourself and you can, you can experience that without necessarily going outside your front door. I think that the human connection is important and I think that we should never discount any way somebody does that, even if it's you know strictly online or only through chatting or anything. But I also think that we should pay more attention to the ways in which our interactions with our possessions can really bring us that fulfillment. Absolutely. And I love that you talked about the stuffed animals. And I know one of my colleagues that he has a sex doll and he was telling me that, you know, I, I feel guilty, like putting her on the closet after we're done. And he was telling me about all of this kind of like appreciation and love and affection that he has for a doll that which was very thought and kind. And, and I love that. I thought that was very, very thoughtful of the person. So I think the other part of it, you know, you talked about people who are scared of sex robots and you talk about like you know the things that people write online and I feel like people worry that like in future we will not have the relationship maybe the sex robots are kind of replacing human companionship so tell us what do you see in the trend of the future sex robots I think they're going to continue to get much more sophisticated in terms of interaction I don't ever see them replacing humans in general. There are still going to be a lot of things that sex robots can't do. There's still going to be that need to keep them charged. They're never going to be, you know, as room temperature as humans all the time. They're never going to be to the point where they're anticipatory, I don't think. And there is something about a human connection where you can be surprised. Mm -hmm. And we enjoy that surprise. So if a robot brings you flowers or makes you your favorite cup of tea or remembers your birthday, it's always part of their algorithm. And even though that's fulfilling and touching and, you know, kind and everything, it's, it's never going to be spontaneous. There's, there's not that element of, of surprise. And on one hand, it's also never going to leave you, which is, you know, beneficial. 
But we want that newness. We want that personal touch. So I think relationships human to human are definitely still going to continue. But I also think that as we normalize sex robotics, we're going to have a whole series of other options and things that are open to us in terms of exploring our sexual urges. And this is important because we see massive amounts of shame or guilt or secrecy that come with things, particularly things that are outside of the norm, outside of vanilla, you know, sexual relations. And as we begin to explore those and normalize them more, this will be a really helpful tool to use so that when we do get to those interpersonal relations, we have the ability to find healthy relationships, make sure that we're respecting our partners, make sure that our partners are treating us well, and that we can talk openly with them about what we want and need sexually, and that they don't take it personally. And, you know, we'll have that in our toolbox. We can use this to to really help solidify those person-to-person relationships. Well, Rebecca, I know I personally loved your book. And again, I, I don't even belong to a sci-fi fan category, but I thought that was fascinating. And it opened my eyes to the kind of history of this fascination and desire. And also it's full of great information. So if our listeners are curious about how to get a hold of you about your book, where can they go? So you can find me on Facebook at my author page. It's facebook.com slash The Corseted Skeleton. You can find me on Twitter at our Gibson Girl. And my email address is rgibson dot A-R-C-H-A-E-O at gmail.com. Uh, you can find both books at the, I have an Amazon author page. It, I believe, is also... Amazon.com slash author slash Rebecca Gibson Bioanthro. And I have another book coming out. As you can tell by my Facebook handle, The Corseted Skeleton, my next book is The Corseted Skeleton, A Bioarchaeology of Binding, which is about how skeletons impact the bodies and social lives and life lengths of women during the 1700s through 1900s. Oh, that's fascinating. And I got the book, your book from Kindle. And I think like if people are curious, they can get it right away. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's, that's wonderful. I'm so excited to hear about your next book. And I can't wait to read it. And thank you so much for coming on this show. And it was lovely to have you share your expertise with us. Thank you very much for having me. This has been wonderful. I hope you found this conversation useful. I loved her book. I highly recommend it. Even though I'm not interested in this genre, but the the way that she talks about literature and our fascination with robots and our sexual attraction throughout the time, it was very enriching for me. 
this is as i said episode 198 we are two episodes away from episode 200 so my invitation for you is to tell us what episode that you found most useful and tell us perhaps record your voice and tell us what was the sex feedback that you got that you find it was useful for you you can record your voice at sexologypodcast.com or you can email it to me at Dr. Moali at sexologypodcast.com and you will be entered to get an Amazon gift card and I might feature your voice in the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.